Hi, and welcome to the BPD Bravery Show, where we discuss tips, strategies, struggles, triumphs, and success stories related to borderline personality disorder. Here is your host, Faye Green. So what is it that you do? Well, I'm a clinical psychologist. I work at a state psychiatric facility in New York called Pilgrim Psychiatric Center. So I've been there since 2004 and I've been part of their DBT program since I started. And the guy who ran the program before me um, was a really sweet guy, um, but decided to retire in 2009 and then I took over the program. And so I started renovating it. Um, We started redoing who's in and who's not in. I got all the psychology students involved, the interns and externs. Um, I supervise them. I train them. We see individual clients together. We have a group supervision every week. We do DBT groups and DBTS groups for substance abuse. And um, I love it. It's um, it's my passion. You know, I, I, I really um, enjoy helping people and, you know, adding what I can to help this, you know, this population. So that's why I'm here, Faye. Yeah, no, oh, thank yeah. you so much for doing this. I mean, yeah, no. and, I, I, and like I was saying to Faye before we got on this, you guys, like, you know, it's really amazing what she's done. I mean, she took her own experience and decided to create this amazing Facebook group where like thousands and thousands of people come for support and to help each other and to feel less alone. And I think that's incredible. So are you trying to make awesome. me blush? <laughs> well, that's awesome. I mean, you took it upon yourself to do this and you created this big community, which I think is so yeah. cool. Thank you. I try. Cause like yeah. I said, I mean, I, I was in a place that I felt so alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I felt like, you know, I tried sending my friends mm-hmm. uh, articles, but they were, I, you know, when you just feel like they're not getting it. Mm-hmm. And I have yes, to share it with yes others. validation, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you know, even, in the hosp- even in the hospital, you know, I mean, some people really enjoy working with people with borderline personality disorder and some people can't stand it. And some people just aren't educated. And there's ward staff, for example, that might make really rude or inconsiderate remarks or even some psychiatrists just want to work with schizophrenics and they're like, oh, borderline, you know, so you see it all over the place. The invalidation is something you have to cope with on a chronic basis. And unfortunately, even in what's supposed to be a therapeutic setting, you know, so oh, I've got a, I've got a, Oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead, crazy... go ahead. Okay. This story about, so you're in New York, right? You probably right. know of a uh, Presbyterian hospital in yes. White Plains. Yeah. Okay. Yes. One of the hospitals I was in actually the last psych ward I was okay. in. Um, I thought it was pretty good, but mm-hmm. so there's this psychiatrist, I'm not going to say a name mm-hmm. and he's supposed to be top, top psychiatry. Um, I was, they have different wings. I was in the, although when I went in, th- no one knew that I have borderline yet. I didn't, I wasn't given the diagnosis yet, but, and that's where I got my diagnosis. I'm really lucky that I ended up oh, in the yeah. hospital, hmm. but they put me in that section for DBT and CBT. They have a special wing. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they knew to put me there, but they mm-hmm. they knew. And the doctor was so I'm lucky that the doctor was out. He was on vacation for the most part of it. And someone else filled in. But when he when he did come back, we had a, a meeting. It was a 10 minute meeting. And OK, I don't want to blame him. He was maybe at a big conference. I don't know where he was. Right. Maybe he was on vacation. Maybe he was at a conference. And mm-hmm. but he literally fell asleep. <laughs> Oh no! During the, during the thing and about invalidation, that, <laughs> treatment behavior. No, no, no. And then he called me back for another. I guess he needed. Maybe he, you know, he was out, so he. I don't know. He was too tired. He called me back, and we had a meeting. And then that that was this was the most horrific thing because I got to tell you this. Um, I was in several hospital psych wards. Uh, White Plains. Uh, what's it called? Presbyterian for the most part, was the best of all. Mm-hmm. But what this doctor did to me, he told me that he's try- he's going to try to help me. And because he's trying to help me, he wants to make a meeting with an- other doctors. <laughs> oh, gosh. I can't. Like residents or make- something? Like just to he didn't tell me that. The he didn't tell of me a, that. Of a client or something? Oh, you guys <laughs> this one. Oh, damn. He- he didn't tell me that. He told me that there are going to be other doctors, and so they should be able because mm. they want to figure out how to help, how to help me best. Uh-huh. And what it was, it took me into a room 
with at least I I remember like trying to count. I was so nervous. Um, trying to count. We were at over 30. Again, doctors, interns. Oh, this is um, a seminar? Like, what the heck? It was so, and he wanted me to tell my story to them. Like he started Whoa. asking inter, in, but in a very not nice way, like kind of like I was to blame for everything. And I mm. broke down crying. I ran out of middle. Oh, um, no. So <laughs> Yeah. It was like that was with my psych ward, and you know they're yeah. a really great psych ward for the most part. I, I they helped me. They got me the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Didn't tell me about it. I found out by mistake. But um, and they they got me on the right track. So yeah. um, except for this weird situation. Yeah. Like, wow. It's unforgettable. Today. <laughs> so <laughs> I was just wondering, what kind of stories do you see in your where you work? Oh, you know what? A lot of unfortunately, like a lot of the work we we do in group settings is, you know, using opportunities, quote unquote, that happen on the ward with negative interactions with people as opportunities to practice skills. You know, so they'll say, you know what, like a, if someone with a eating disorder will say, you know, there there was a therapy aide commenting on what I had on my tray and how much I was eating or why did you take this extra sandwich or why are you going to the bathroom? Are you going to do, you know, or like making negative comments about, you know, scars or whatever. And people come to group and they're upset about it. And so we have to now deal with like, how do I now use skills to cope with this and this very upsetting and validating experience? So it's not just their peers, you know, because there's other people with other psych problems that interact in inappropriate ways, touching, hitting, yelling, uh, creating this traumatic environment sometimes. You know, sometimes it's the staff and whether they mean to or not, you know, it really uh, upsets people. So now we got to whip out some distress tolerance and figure out how are we going to get through it, you know, because sometimes, unfortunately, like coping with invalidation is like part of the journey. Because even the best intentioned of people sometimes make a mistake. You know, sometimes people are very thoughtless and other times it's accidental, but it still could hurt, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, not, a, I mean, even just at home with your family or friends. Oh, yeah. You're, Especially with your family. Always... <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're always going to be invalidated. You know I, had a, I had a supervisor once and she had a pillow on her couch and it said, if it isn't one thing, it's your mother. <laughs> I thought that was great. <laughs> Oh, man. oh gosh no that is a good yeah. one <laughs> so with all those people um in the unit and you said that you deal with bpd ptsd um do you see an overlap of something like trauma or is it oh yeah it all goes together so i think you know sometimes it's a little hard to distinguish one from another and, you know, there's a lot of developmental trauma and relational trauma in BPD. And, you know, sometimes there's mood lability and it's part of something else and it's not exactly BPD. And then sometimes psychiatrists will say, oh, this person's cutting. It must be BPD without looking at the full spectrum of symptoms because um, people could hurt themselves for different reasons, just like they could drink alcohol for different reasons. So not everybody, um, just because you have a diagnosis from someone, it doesn't mean that's absolutely correct. I think to me, it's more important to look at what the exact um, issues are or the symptoms are and work with that, despite what you call it. You know, um, there's actually a story I heard from Marsha Linehan during um, a training I, I went to once. And she said that, you know, there's such a stigma sometimes with borderline personality disorder. So she said, well, there was some study done or some something where they decided to change the name. So on one coast, they called it complex PTSD. And on another coast, they called it rapid cycling bipolar. But it turned out that people did also, you know, had invalidation for complex BPD and rapid cycling bipolar. I mean, complex PTSD and rapid cycling bipolar. So it's not the name you give it. It's really like that people have to have a a better uh, technique for validating people, more understanding or more you know, a realization that people are suffering and they're doing the best they can. And if they could do better, they would do better. Isn't that one of the uh, DBT things that you have to, one of the kind of, I don't know what it's called, that you have to believe that everyone's doing the best they can, but everyone could also do Do better. Yeah, something like that. It's one of the dialectics. So if I just say, it's like acceptance and change. So if I just say, listen, Faye, I accept you exactly as you are. And I understand, you know, in your heart, 
you know, you're a good person and you're struggling a lot. Um, and, you know, I know that if you could have done better, you would have done better. So that's my acceptance. But if I only accept you, you're, you're probably going to get to a point where you're like, but I'm suffering. Why aren't you helping me? Like, yes, I thank you for accepting me, but what the heck? I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm really intense emotions. I'm really suffering. I'm hurting myself. I'm, I'm doing this and that. So it's not enough to just accept. You also have to say, okay, well, what else could we do better? You know, if I want to make my life better and live to be the person I want to live to be, what do I need to change? But if I only did change and I said, okay, Faye, I see what's wrong here. We got to stop this. We got to stop this. We got to reduce your uh, emotion vulnerability. We got to, you know, fix that, you know, then you're going to be like, don't you care about me? Aren't I okay? Like, you're just making me just undo my whole self. Like, I thought I just want to accept it for who I am. So, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I accept you, Faye. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, so it has to be like an ongoing balance of acceptance and change. And sometimes in certain points in treatment, it's 95% acceptance and 5% change. And then at other times, people kind of give you the signal that they're more up for working on something right now. So the, the balance shifts and it becomes maybe 50-50, you know? So it's like an ongoing um, flow. It's not just like, okay, let's get to it. Here's the manual. Let's keep going. <laughs> pause it a little bit and just kind of be with what's going on instead of just changing what's going on. Do you think that, yeah, I'm, I'm just wondering, DBT, because you're like, okay, this is the book, here it is. But is, you know, you learn it, you go uh, nine months, 10 months, a year, two years, right? You Do you have to constantly keep on relearning it? Okay, this is kind of the way I see it. Um, I could enter DBT right now mm -hmm. and get what I can at this time in my life, given where I'm at at this point and what my understanding of DBT is and how able I am to pay attention and group to learn the skill and my willingness to change right now and whatever. Okay. I could come back to it at a later point in time and be in a different place in my life and get something different from it. I've been doing DBT for 21 years. Okay. And I'm still getting more nuanced understandings of the skills. Because every time I teach it and I say it again, or I listen to discussions and group about the skills, or I apply it, help someone apply it to their own life, it clicks with something new with me. And as I read more and more things and I learn more and more other modalities, I then take that knowledge back to DBT and I see it in a new way. So when people come to me and they say, oh, I already did DBT, I know this already. I say, well, listen, honey, if you knew it already and you applied it really well, you wouldn't be back in the hospital. So <laughs> even if you're here up, up in your mind, you still have to know it here in your heart and you have to find a way to make it work for you because there's more to it than what you're able to apply right now. And we could maybe help you do that, but you're, you, you probably don't know it as well as you think even if you intellectually understand it. Like sometimes being smart's a curse. Like sometimes we have really intelligent clients that could rattle off the skills and know all the acronyms and all that stuff, but they have a really hard time using it. And so that is really the ongoing work. Mm -hmm. If that answers the question. Yeah, I have, I did it one-on-one. -on -one. I know that it's encouraged to do it in a group setting, right? Um, we tried in a group setting. It was just two of us and the other girl wanted to do it um, private. So we did one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> What's that? Two, two in a group is couples therapy. <laughs> oh, I never, I didn't, we didn't know each other. <laughs> but I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> No, I don't think couples therapy and DB, as, as DBT is such a bad idea. You might be onto something. Sometimes it does help couples, you know, the emotion regulation is better. Sometimes people get along a little bit better, you know, oh, you see? <laughs> we're on to something. Yes. See, but I've learned to, you know, years ago and I was very on, you know, I was in a very, I was in a crazy situation. Um, trying, I was, I had to get out of the house. Um, it was dangerous for me to stay at home, but I didn't have where to go. And, and, I was, it, it was terrible. And all I could think of was like, how do I end this? How do I end this? And DBT, mm. you could say kind of saved my life at that point. Wow. Um, and then many years pass, right? And then I get my diagnosis. 
-hmm. And now I'm like, everyone's is trying to encourage me. You know, I mean, you know, when I look at how can I get help, it's like DBT again. And I take out my book mm -hmm. and I'm like, I've got this. I know mindfulness, wise mind, uh, you know, oh gosh, I now I forgot it. Wise mind oh, and oh my goodness. Emotional mind, reasonable mind. Yeah, and reasonable. Mind. Yeah. And I'm like, I got this. I got That's this. usually one of the popular skills. <laughs> I got the pages. I opened the book and I'm like, I remember this. How do I apply it? I have no idea. Mm. Next page. How do I apply this? Mm, no, I don't know. Next page. Next skill. And I'm like, and I'm you know what? I'm like, that's actually why I originally uh, did the YouTube videos. I started with the DBT skills because, oh. you know, when I did, um, private practice DBT, there was a huge waiting list and it was really expensive. And I, I had a good experience. I learned a lot, but I hate the idea of therapy for the rich. Like where I am now, I, I, I'm working with the underserved for the most, you know, like chronically mentally ill people that don't have money, that don't have other resources and they're in a state hospital and they're sometimes at the lowest point in their life. So I believe in like helping people, you know, for the sake of just helping people live a better life without charging them a small fortune for it. So I wanted to make DBT explained and help, as helpful to people as possible if they don't have a therapist to work with. So if they just have the book and they're staring at it like you were like, I don't know what to do with that. I want to at least give some kind of a, you know, a talking through of the skills to give people some more ideas. So that's why um, I wanted to do that. And, and, and I was so grateful for the opportunity because just like you, like I'm able to reach so many people and um, now it's just, you know, it's just like uh, it's out there and people just keep finding it, which is so cool. Like, I don't have to keep doing the work. It's just done. It's not like I have to keep doing that group over and over again. It's just there, you know. Um, but it's, you know, I know it's hard to figure it out yourself. You oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's good, because mm -hmm. if anyone because I was going to ask you, especially here in the U.S., I mean, so many of us can't afford DBT, right? Yeah. Um, there are two things. Sometimes you have medical insurance that, you know, you could get DBT, but you live in a place that it's either there's a long wait list or yeah. you live more in a like country or the suburbs where there is no DBT mm -hmm. groups and you have to maybe travel an hour each way. Yeah. So actually one of the good things that came out of the pandemic is like this virtual therapy, because I think it's made yeah. it more accessible for people that especially live far away from an in-person center, you know? Um, so, I, you know, I think that's actually one of the good things that came out of it. Um, and I think some people are continuing to do it even through things like betterhelp.com or, you know, whatever online things they have. So, yeah, I've heard of them. I, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what that yeah. is. Um, I think they have like bigger companies that offer online therapy to people. Like, I don't know how well the people are vetted that they have as therapists, but um, you know, at least it's some option where you don't have to travel if you're not able to. I don't know, um, my guess is there might be some kind of sliding scale. Like, I don't really know. I don't wanna <laughs> give the wrong information out there, but at least it's, there's some accessibility to it, but it does cost, you know, it's not free. But it's maybe not as expensive. Perhaps, uh, I, I don't know enough about it to really say, but. It, it might be, they might have some kind of a sliding scale, you know? So would you suggest if someone doesn't have access to, um, you know, a DBT group or a DBT therapist that they just go on your, um, on your YouTube page and they could learn it that way? Is that like, yeah, I, I mean, I it? systematically went through every, every major skill through for all the modules. Yeah. And before I did it, I wanted to see what was out there. So I was looking on YouTube and it seemed like, some people had some skills, but not, there was no one place with all of them. And some of them, you know, were presented like in cartoons and they looked very cute, but it wasn't really a thorough explanation of what they're like and how do you apply it. It was just like a very overview, brief thing, which is fine. You know, there's something, you know, cute about the visuals that they have with the animations and things like that. But I wanted to have something complete that somebody could follow along with. And, you know, like I said, I've been teaching DBT for many years. So, and I've made my own PowerPoints with visuals because I'm a very visual person. And so some people are visual learners and it helps just to see that rather than a handout. And um, I originally did it that way for my groups because, you know, not everybody's able to read well. And in a group discussion, it's hard to look at a lot of little words on a page. And sometimes it's like, 
you know, a little bit too much for people to process. And so I spaced it out on many slides with, with pictures and it helps people like have a slower conversation and integrate the skills better. So, um, I, so I used those and modified them a little for YouTube and tried to explain it the way I would explain it in a group, you know, so you don't have to pay to see me. You can just watch it on YouTube. And that's what I wanted. I want people to like see it so that they could learn it. And I've had some people tell me like, me and my family are learning DBT. We're watching your videos. And I'm like, wow, it's so cool. You know, I just, it's, it's good to have the opportunity to be able to help people like, like that. Yeah, that is amazing. I, mm -hmm. I, I think I got to do it for myself too. Cause mm -hmm. if it's as good as, I mean, I've watched, a, I've watched several of your videos. The favorite person yeah. video was, I was like, I think I, I rewatched it four or five times. Wow. <laughs> I was like, you yes, yes, yes. One about that specifically. Um, but yeah, I mean, before I put the video together, I wanted to see what else was out there about favorite person. And there really was not very much. And so I was like, I got to go with my gut and talk about my experience with it. Because um, I think going through it myself and also having some of the psychological insights, I thought maybe I could explain it in a way that people could relate to. And it seems like people can based on the, my video, you know, like, I, although I, like I was, I was saying to Faye, you guys um, off offline, but I don't, I never heard of favorite person until a few years ago. Like I trained with DBT trainers and no one talked about favorite person. So I don't know if it's a newer thing or like it's, it kind of arose online. Like, I don't know the origins of it really, but, but once I saw it and I read what they meant by that, I was like, holy crap. Like I did that for years. I spent years of my life going through that torture. So I got to put it out there because the shame of doing it and putting people in that position of being your favorite person and the shame of it and feeling like I'm the only person who does this. I don't know anyone who does this. This is crazy. Like, I was like, I would have felt so much better if years ago I saw a video about favorite person. So I was like, let me just give it a try. Let me put it out there. And so that's why I did it. Oh, and um, that, you see, you you thought that with favorite person, what I did with the yes, exactly. Page. Because favorite person too, I thought something's wrong with me. Yeah. Um, until, you know, I got diagnosed. And mm. I think at that point, favorite person was already a term, although it's yeah. not, you won't find it in the DSM, right? Um, like, no, no. Like no. it's, it's probably yeah, something but, that arose through, you know, maybe people talking about this pattern and they gave it a term or something. I don't know. But it's funny because I, I never read it in a DBT textbook. I never heard it from DBT training. <laughs> I never heard it from a person I was working with. Um, but then when I saw it on the internet, I was like, damn, that's, that's, it, yes, yes, we should talk about that. <laughs> you know, it's a scary thing. I, yeah. It's such a scary thing because I mean, I sometimes see on posts, people are like, I need a favorite person or I've lost my favorite person. I need a new one. I'm like, no, 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 you don't. It's poison. No, you don't. You it's poison. You're <laughs> you know what? I, like I said in my video, um, it, it's like, if you try to solve the problem in the realm of favorite person, like if I just get this person to be closer to me or just be like them or just get them to connect with me in this special way, that's going to be just right. All will be right with the world, but it's not true. Like it just doesn't happen. And even if you sculpt yourself to try to be exactly who they need you to be in order to make this work, it just doesn't work. And I think until you really let go of that idea and really believe that it's possible to have a healthier relationship, and that you could accept someone who actually cares about you as a whole person, rather than just the part of you you're trying to mold into being who they want you to be, then it's it's never going to work for you, and you're just going to suffer more and more and more, you know. And so, it took me years to get to that point. Like it sounds like a few sentences, but it's extremely <laughs> hard. But you know, I think it's really the only way out of it. You just got to accept, like, it's just not going to work. Just don't put people in that position. It's not fair to them and it's not fair to you, you know? Yeah, that's, you know, after, once you realize what you're doing, like for me personally, like once I, I took a step back, right? You, My last favorite person, it, it was from both ends, of course, but it ended up, it, it was disastrous. Mm -hmm. And once, you know, I gave myself time to like heal, whatever that is but like you know time went by and I kind of looked back at everything and yes you know it was a two-way street but there's a lot of guilt mm -hmm. a lot of guilt and yeah. shame with it too you know because mm -hmm. 
I mean, I should have, because then I started kind of educating myself, right? Yeah. And doing the research. And that's like, damn, you know? You know what? Even time before I heard a favorite person, I was reading Brene Brown. Are you familiar with her? Oh, so yeah. This book mm -hmm. on shame and, and stuff like that. And, you know, I've read most of her books, except for the business one, which I still have on my shelf, but I'm not a real big business person. So it's been kind of a postponed. But anyway, so she writes a lot about shame. And I was reading some of her books on shame. And she talks about a variety of things that people, especially women, are ashamed about. And there's no mention of favorite person. It's like even the shame researcher isn't talking about the shame of having a favorite person and feeling so alone in that and putting someone in a position where they you need them to be a certain way to be your perfection, your ideal, you know, like that was even written there, <laughs> you know, so it's like, what's wrong with me? So, yeah, I wonder, she probably, she's too healthy to... <laughs> Know. you know it has her own quirks for sure and she'll she oh yeah it. and i know she's interviewed many many people and got their experiences but i guess that didn't make the cut what could i say <laughs> uh, like you said but there's it's something that this term hasn't been used yeah much before yeah. and um and i always get it when people write fp and, and then you'll yeah. have 10 people asking what's an fp what's an fp mm -hmm. what's an fp you know so that's why i thought your video described it mm. so well so well i'll i'll put a link um, okay, sure. yeah. to that video too because uh mm. it, it was so good like i said mm. four times at least i've watched it <laughs> especially with the, the the braiding of the hair um you know oh, what I'm talking okay. about? like you braided their hair like yeah. as if the, yes, you like the, the visual of being intertwined with the person. Yeah, yeah, you don't know where you end, where they end, where you end, then they start. It's like right, right. And the okay, so you know, have you watched Crazy X? I think it's called Crazy X Girlfriend. No, no, it's like a show. It's called Crazy yeah. X, and it's okay. Basically, someone who has BPD, uh -huh. and you know, like everything. Those Let's just add to the like, stigma and make a whole show about it. <laughs> why you not know, crazy you can be at your worst you know and yeah but <laughs> some people and i've i've heard both like i watched it because i'm like okay finally there's you know the, mm -hmm. there's something about bpd out there and i'm like i cannot relate to this and then there were others that like were really really you know they were like oh spot mm -hmm. on i could so see myself so you know oh, everyone has as everyone has different yeah so there she is kind of I can't remember. She, she was running after an ex, like literally moved to a different cross country or something. Mm. I don't remember. So, I mean, I haven't done like something like that, but should you I know say the feeling that? Of it. I'm sure you know the feeling of it. You know, yeah. But should I say things like for me, it's more like things that were in my mind that I wanted to do rather than I actually like mm -hmm. did. Right. 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 But I don't know. Uh, Forget. I'm not going, going to go down mm -hmm. that rabbit hole. It's right, it's. Right, right. Let's get back to treatment and to no therapy. <laughs> yes. But I think one thing that does come up in treatment, and I know I've mm -hmm. done this, is when people try to make their therapist their favorite person. I think eventually it gets in the way of treatment because you're not really looking for a therapist and not fully committed to working on yourself. You're much more invested in getting them to be your favorite person and sculpting that relationship. And so I feel like although it's subtle, it's kind of like a treatment interfering behavior. So I feel like it's good to have a, like a middle ground of like a good working relationship and connection without like an enmeshment where you're losing yourself and your therapist and trying to be who he or she wants you to be and not de detached and unengaged in the therapy either. You know, so I feel mm -hmm. like if you realize you're, you have an issue with a favorite person and you're feeling that way toward your therapist and getting too intense, and you're comfortable, like try to put it out there so they could discuss it together, you know, and ah. you could have, you know, say, listen, like I never had the words to say that, but I knew that's what I was doing. And there was mm -hmm. shame in the fact that I was doing that. And I think it interfered also with my ability to really use the treatment well, because I was much more invested in the relationship than I was in myself. But I didn't fully understand that at the time. But I think other people do that too. I've been people's favorite person. Now that I know what that was, I could look back and say I was people's favorite person as a therapist. And if I saw them now, I would have more words to address it. What, and what did you see? Like how? Um, the, the last one was probably a few years ago and it was a male. And, you know, it's just like 
I would be in a, a room like, like with windows for a meeting and he'd be standing at the other end of the hallway looking at me through the window. And it's almost like he couldn't let go. And he'd like follow me around with his eyes and he'd check in to see how I was doing. And um, he was like very intensely connected. And if I went away, it was really hard for him. And when he left the hospital, it was very hard for him. And, you know, but he he put me on this pedestal and I felt the idealization and that he wasn't in love with me per se. It was my, his image of me, his, his fantasy construction of me. And it doesn't feel as good as you think the person's going to feel like <laughs> most of the time when I was doing this to people, I thought they would appreciate that I was so, you know, endearing to them, or I was soliciting help. From, like I, I was being solicitous and offering help to them or like helping them with projects or, you know, being the good student or, you know, whatever, doing everything that I thought they could use to make myself useful or to make myself needed because I thought eventually they'll be, they'll want me too. And then they'll like my whole self. It won't just be about the thing that I'm offering or the way that I'm trying yep. to use them, but it never happens. It never, ever happens. Nope. But I felt like he was doing that to me that he was, you know, if he just complimented me enough, or if he just said, Oh, how much this means to him and the therapy and this and that, but like, you know, I knew it was fantasy driven and it felt kind of uncomfortable, but and, we, and I addressed it in a certain way. I didn't have the favorite person word, but we talked about reducing the intensity and that the reality is never the same as the fantasy and that I'm just an ordinary person that happens to be your therapist. And if you really got to know me, it would break the whole spell. Um, <laughs> it's true. Um, but, and, it, and it's true. Like, even like, if you think about it, if you look back at an old favorite person relationship you had and think about mm -hmm. the person as just the person, it's like, I don't know, there wasn't anything that special. I just built it up in myself. I built it up in my mind and made it this thing. But it was they were just ordinary, you know? Yeah. It's like the the man behind the curtain, like in The Wizard of Oz, you know? Yeah, for me, I like I tried to describe it. The way I feel about it is like they're this angel that could do no mm -hmm. harm. And mm -hmm. you know, they're all good, but yeah. really they're human. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just as flawed as anyone else. I'm not saying they're more flawed than anyone else. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying they're human. They're not this yeah. angel that I mm -hmm. want them to be. No, I was going to say, I never thought of it from a therapist. Like if a, mm -hmm. I've never had it with a therapist, yeah. so I'm not, I, I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how it plays out, but I've never thought of it from the therapist's point mm -hmm. of view. It's like, what do you do now? Yeah. Um, I, I tried to address it as best I can. I think he's, he did, you know, tone it down a little toward the end. And another weird thing was that he was married and, you know, it's almost like I was competing with his wife. Like he secretly felt like he was cheating on her with me because he had an emotional connection to me. And that was an interesting dynamic that he felt more connected to me than to her, but he really favored person me more than her in essence. Um, Another thing to think about too, along the lines of what you were saying with the idealization, you know, I have a I have a video called Projection and Idealization. And one of the things I talk about in the idealization thing, it's almost like, okay, so let's say this, it's hard, <laughs> my, my camera's backwards, so it's a little screwed up. So let's say uh, my two hands represent an overlap of my fantasy of the person and the actual person. So when my fantasy and the reality line up, all is well with the world. You're behaving just the way I was hoping you would, and everything's perfect. But as soon as they're a little different, it's like now I get really pissed off and I get really upset or really hurt easily. Even if it's just like a tiny little snutch, it's like, oh my God, like that's not how I thought you were supposed to be. And this hurts so, so much. So when people talk about splitting, I think this is part of what's going on that I'm so hurt and disappointed because you started to show something other than what I was hoping you would be. And, but now it's an extreme reaction. And so I really, really get hurt and upset and I could get very emotional, very angry, um, fear of abandonment, all that stuff. And what would you, what are the skills that you would suggest for splitting? Okay. So one of the things that I've gotten into more recently, the last few years is internal family systems. And so that's about working with our parts. Okay. So it doesn't mean you have dissociative identity disorder. Everybody has parts. 
Right. And so we have what they call exile parts, which are like really vulnerable, hurt children that we try to push out of the way because when they're exposed, it hurts so much. Then we have manager parts, which try to prevent things from getting hurtful. So we have perfectionism. We have beating ourselves up about things. We have the critic. We have keeping busy, all that kind of stuff that prevents something bad from happening. Then we have another series of parts called the firefighter parts, which borderlines love. So that's like after my exile's triggered, now I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to yell and scream. I'm going to storm out of the room. I'm going to say F you. I'm going to take drugs, uh, you know, whatever it's got to do to squash that pain because I can't bear it. It's unbearable. So I think it's important to see ourselves not as a unified whole, but as different parts. So I have part of me that feels about you that you could do no wrong and you're perfect. There's, a, there's a, maybe a child part of me that connects to a certain part of you and that needs to be enmeshed and needs to be okay and needs you to take care of me and all that good stuff, right? But then if that doesn't work, my really hurt, painful exile pops out and says, you're abandoning me, you're not there for me. This is so hurtful. You're not being who I need you to be to keep me okay. And so I start reacting to that exile with my firefighter parts, which are the extreme behaviors that are impulsivity. But then after I'm impulsive, I try to correct my behavior with things like shame, beating myself up, and all those negative um, counter behaviors or counterparts to kind of shut up the firefighters. So what do we have to do? We have to zoom out and get into our wise mind, or what IFS will say, yourself with a capital S, which is not the part, it's the you behind the parts. It's almost like a spiritual self that's in the background while these parts are operating. And from the place of self, kind of validate, so to speak, the parts and the roles that they have. So they're all trying to help us in some way. So they're all trying to protect us from pain. And so they took on a role, perhaps early in our life, in order to help us. And so we could show them understanding that Yes, I, I know you're yelling and screaming because you're very hurt because that takes their mind away from what's going on. Yes, I know you're drinking a lot of alcohol tonight because it's so painful to feel what you're feeling. I know that's trying to protect Faye, right? Whatever, whoever I am, right? Or yes, I know that I need to keep busy all the time because once I stop, I'm alone with my thoughts and it's so hard to be alone with my me. right? So I got to keep thinking, 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 thinking. All right, yes, my thoughts. Thank you thoughts for helping me, trying to help me. So showing them understanding, trying to get to know them, feel where your parts are showing up in your body. Um, and then gently asking them, like, what if myself took over that job instead of you? Would you be willing to step aside and let myself handle this situation? So in DBT speak, it would be like, instead of my emotional mind, what about if my wise mind took over and handled this situation? Would you be willing to do that? Like ask permission, be respectful to the part because they may not want to let go of their job right now because they're scared, you know? So it's hard to want to stop hurting yourself because that was working for you in some way. It was protecting you in some way. People think, oh my God, this is the worst shit ever. Like, don't do it, don't do it. But there was a function for that. or There still is a function for that. Otherwise it never would have happened. So to respect the adaptive value of different behaviors validate it within yourself, even if no one else can, and then step back and allow yourself to see if it could handle the situation. Wow. Wow. That's strong. Huh. All right. Wow. That's why I love IFS. It's really good stuff. And I think it's not incompatible with other therapies. Like I, I do some parts work within DBT and I think this might know, be over. Like yeah, there's, there's a lot of um, good treatments out there that can work hand in hand. It doesn't have to be one or another. And I think parts work could be really important. And when you have a history of trauma, especially your parts get more extreme and they align with your um, adaptive survival uh, mechanisms, such as fight, flight, cry for help, freeze and shut down, shame, shut down, you know, collapse, shame, stuff like that. So you might be very polarized along those things. And which part of me is showing up in this situation to try to protect me? 
am I shutting down and curling up in a ball and dissociating because it's too painful? Or am I getting hyper aroused and I'm you know, like throwing chairs because that's taking my mind off of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you might have one part that's kind of more dominant, or you might have a few that kind of rotate through. So you wonder like, why do I have an identity disturbance? Because my parts are very extreme and they may not get along with each other. You know, like I might hate my shame part because I feel so weak and helpless, or I might hate my anger part because it's getting me in trouble all the time. Yeah. No, I, my shame part, um, if I like, cause I thought when you said the fire, putting out the fire, I thought I'd be more ashamed and guilt. That's probably the strongest that I, mm-hmm. it's like always that shame and guilt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is. And, and now you, you mentioned, you mentioned what's her name? Brene. Brene Brown. Yeah. Yeah. And it. I've, I've listened to her, but I've never read any yeah. of her books. Um, if, if you're a reader, if you're up for it, I mean, they're not too, like, they're, they're meant for anybody. They're not just like professionally, right. written, you know, and she has a lot of good stuff to say, I feel like. Um, so if you ever want to check it out, I would, I would suggest Brene Brown. Yeah. Actually, I actually had a client today just asked me, do you have a Brene Brown book I could borrow? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, people are into it. Like, they, you know, they've heard of her. She's like a lot of TED Talk views and, you know. Yeah, I think I found, I found out about her from her TED Talk. Yeah. Um, that's, I think, that made her very famous. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's like millions of views or something now. Yeah, but then I would listen to her on YouTube. Uh, mm. I would work like late hours. So sometimes, uh, you know, my business, I work late hours at night and it's physical work and it's, you know, boring, mm. it's repetitive. So I need to keep my brain occupied with something mm. and I would usually listen to her. Mm-hmm. So I know her through her speed, you know, her YouTubes, but I've never yeah. read the books. It might be time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the guilt and the shame. I, I can relate to that a lot. Mm, yeah. But yeah, so what's it called? IFS, right? Yes. I, I, I got to do more research into that. IFS. Yeah, internal family systems. Um, mm-hmm. And they have some books out there, even workbooks on it, like for lay people, just anyone. Because they actually encourage, like there's a guy, Frank Anderson, who's involved with it. And I, I, I signed up for a whole IFS course on PESI, which is like... um like a, uh, like a place where they offer like uh, training and stuff like that online. And he was saying, you know, he, his goal is to get everyone to understand what parts are and even have like an app maybe one day. So you could like map out your parts and identify them and work with them better. But th- in the workbook, they, they guide you through some exercises to, um, you know, kind of like understand your parts better and figure out where they are, how old they are, or how they're helping you or, how they're trying to help you, you know, and so it kind of guides you through um, so you can learn about it for yourself. But, you know, there's other more in-depth work you could do with an IFS trained therapist, but it certainly doesn't prevent you from doing some on your own too. Is it easy with a book? Cause like a DBT workbook, I bought one and mm. without having like a therapist, I, yeah. I, I just, it wasn't, I wasn't doing anything, you know, so I, have to be honest, I, I didn't personally do the workbook. I did other parts work on my own. So what I was doing, mm-hmm. and I don't know if this is simpler because in my mind it was simpler is um, I just decided that if I noticed a part, what I believed was a part coming up, I would just take out a notebook and start just write notes on what I'm experiencing. So what am I feeling in my body with this part present? And what am I thinking about? What was the trigger for this part coming out? Um, how do I think it's trying to help me? Who is it trying to protect in my internal system? Um, and what I came to the conclusion of too, is in addition to identifying the parts and getting more familiar with them for myself, I found that as I went through my day, it was easier to not take my thoughts and feelings and behaviors as personally. Cause I was like, Oh, what part is coming up? It's not all of me. It's a part of me, like my shame part or my anger part or my teacher part or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like it it kind of gives you a little space between you and the experience, which helps you to be a little more curious about it, you know? And so they talk about that exploratory orienting, like wanting to explore is curiosity, Mm -hmm. but defensive orienting, which is like hypervigilance is looking out for danger. So instead of looking to your part with hypervigilance, like, oh, no, this is dangerous. What's going on? Stop it. Stop it. Stop. You know, like instead you'd be like, oh, well, that's interesting. Hmm. An anxious part came up. I wonder what that's all about. 
okay, where am I feeling that? So when you come at it with curiosity from a place of capital S self, it's like you're coming at it um, with an open mind in terms of like wanting to understand, like as if you had a good friend who was trying to help help you work through something rather than someone who's like, oh no, you get out of here, forget it. You don't belong, <laughs> get out. You know, you're not gonna heal yourself by squashing parts of yourself, by killing off parts of yourself. You're only gonna heal it through inclusion. And in fact, Richard Schwartz, who created this whole thing, has a book called No Bad Parts. Because the idea is that all of my parts have a role in my system. Maybe they need some healing and they want to drop their role and take on a different role, but they all have a place. Everyone should be able to sit at the table. You shouldn't just say, oh, no, you should get out. You should get out. You should get out because there's not going to be anything left. And if we think about it, developmentally, one of the reasons why we get screwed up is because our parents say, this part of you is okay. This part of you is not okay. You're allowed to be sad, but you're not allowed to be angry. You're allowed to play soccer, but you're not allowed to go to ballet. You know what I'm saying? Like there's parts of you that they make okay that you're allowed to be. And there's parts of you that they don't feel are okay and you're not allowed to be. So you don't want to do that within yourself. All parts should be allowed. So secure attachment is when all your feelings are allowed, all your parts are allowed, all your experiences are allowed. Not that everything is working for you, but it's accepted as part of who you are and you work with it, you engage with it and try to heal it. Yeah. yeah. No, I guess, yeah. When you have an emotion, it's there for a reason. Right. Uh, it's weird. It just happened right before um, we got onto this uh, thing, this podcast, um, my, one of my sisters and I've got, we're eight sisters. We're eight. Wow. Seven eight. Sisters. No, we're nine. Hold on. Eight. Sorry. I to <laughs> I've, got, I've got, <laughs> I've got, <laughs> so I guess every time your mom came and said, guess what? Everyone was like, oh no, not another one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my sisters, because I was, I, I don't want to say a name, but one of my sisters, oh. she, she, she asked for a race today. And mm. no, <laughs> I mean, she, she didn't, she really, I mean, they, they kind of are making, you know, when they give you so much more work and they hardly give you, they give you a tiny, tiny few cents on mm -hmm. the hour. And she was really angry and, and, and upset. And I told her, you're allowed to be upset. You know, you're allowed. Mm -hmm. it, don't, don't be upset with yourself for being upset. Right. She said, I felt like I felt so hurt because all they did was, you know, they showed me because they go through a report and mm -hmm. she scored a, a hundred on it. So she's doing such a great job. Mm -hmm. And now you're giving me like nothing, you know, what do you, mm -hmm. so, and I was like, it's okay. You know, mm -hmm. you're allowed to be upset. You're allowed to be hurt. Right. Don't, don't push it away. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to sit with our emotions sometimes, right. but I'm trying to learn it too, to just, for me, I always, always try to, growing up, we were not, we were not allowed to show emotions. Mm. You know, that's like, there was no, you were not allowed to show emotion yeah. in the house. So see that, that's an example of like how in the family, certain experiences are allowed and certain are not. And some families, you have to be very stoic and not really show emotion. And so it's hard for you to learn how to feel your emotions, express them, cope with them, you know. It's like, am I allowed to feel this way? Right, right. <laughs> Suppressing it is never going to help. Yeah. yeah, it's true. <laughs> I'm trying to leave the listeners with something that they could implement, right? Sure. So let's say if they want to know what they can do if they when they go to therapy, what they can do to kind of get the most out of their therapy sessions. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you would advise, suggest? Um, I would say you know, be patient and build trust slowly. And, you know, sometimes like part of us gets very impatient and we want results right away. And then part of us has a hard time letting go of some of our behaviors. So we, we got to expect that there's, you know, different feelings about changing. And I think addressing that in an ongoing way and being honest about how you feel about it is important because sometimes like Let's say in therapy, I feel like the only thing my, my therapist wants from me is to be pro-change. And so I'm, I'm trying to please him or her by filling out my diary card and doing my skills and, you know, doing the right thing and giving a good report. And so I'm putting all my energy into that and I'm not really paying attention to the part of me that's scared of changing. So what might happen is 
without really thinking clearly about it, I might sabotage my progress and do a target behavior or something again. So if I'm not putting it into words and fully acknowledging the two sides of things, I might end up acting out in a way that I'll eventually be sorry about. So oh, yeah. I think it's normal just to understand within yourself that even though things look crazy to other people, like, I can't believe you're purging every day. I can't believe you're cutting yourself. What are you out of your mind? You got to stop this. This is so dangerous. And oh my God. Yes, that is true. And then at the same time, it serves a purpose for me or served a purpose for me. And it is hard to let it go. Sometimes it's like letting go of a best friend because that was the only reliable thing in my life. So yes, it's hard for me to change. I could talk about that and that struggle, but I also could talk about the pro change and let your therapist know that, you know, that's something that's okay with you. And it doesn't have to be one or the other. But I think that's important. Um, and, you know, if you're unhappy with something, don't just disappear. Like try to work it through because like a healthy relationship involves working through difficulties, not just leaving. Like I forgot what book I was reading a long time ago, but there's a quote in it. And the woman said, I know how to end things, but I don't know how to fix things. And I was like, yeah, that's true. A lot of times it's just like, uh, this is really uncomfortable. You know what? I, I think I'm just not going to come back anymore. But sometimes a lot of the growth happens from talking about it and saying, you know what? Last week when you said such and such, that was really uncomfortable for me. And it's been bothering me all week. Um, can we talk about that? You know, yes, let's talk about that and work it through. And so I'll have more confidence that I can work through problems instead of just ending things or blowing things up or storming out, you know, and I think that's one of the other opportunities we could have in therapy that sometimes we're terrified of bringing up. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you for doing this. Now, yeah, it's great. Where, where can you be found? Like if someone wants to watch your videos, um, where could they find it? Um, I oh, have yeah, a YouTube channel. And if you mm -hmm. just type in Jennifer May PhD, um, it should come up. And at this time, I have 194 videos of all different topics. Yeah, um, I really, uh, really went to town, you know. So I have DBT, I have radically open DBT, I have sensory motor psychotherapy, which has some great skills for trauma work. Um, I also put in a brand new series of like five, six videos for developmental trauma styles, which should really help you understand yourself. Um, I had four videos on the attachment styles, which um, can also help you understand why, why am I the way I am? Well, it's it maybe due to one of those attachment issues, um, plus a whole bunch of miscellaneous videos um, about different topics. So um, feel free to check it out. You know, it's, it's all free and out there available to anyone um, who thinks they could benefit. And, um, you know, there's going to be more to come, but you'll have to stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so yeah. much for doing this. Uh, Faye and May, it was a great, great talk today. Thank you. Oh, a rhyme too. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's BPD Bravery Show. If you've enjoyed it, then like, share, and subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure to tune into our show every Monday and Friday. And remember, you are so much more than your BPD.